0: it's a mailbag monday we've got your questions about taking star players to arbitration mets pitcher calvin ziegler and what to look for when you go to a minor league baseball game let's talk about it you are locked on mlb prospects part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more with the official sportsbook of Locked On. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. So... Uh, mailbag, as we do every single Mondays, all of these questions come from listeners of the show. If you have a question for the mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com, or drop your questions in the Locked on MLB Prospects Discord. Link is in the episode description, link is in the show notes. Uh, the first question comes from a lot of people in the Discord. Big topic of conversation this week was MLB arbitration and teams sending guys. To arbitration and either winning or losing cases, uh, over 200 players qualified for arbitration this year, which was a record. And about 33 of them did not agree with their teams and went to arbitration. Some of those cases are done. Some of those cases are not. But uh, because this came up as a top as a topic of conversation, and specifically it came up around Max Fried. A conversation for Atlanta Braves fans are Max Freed is going to be a free agent after the 2024 year, and you have to figure out re-signing him because, you know, I mean, obviously you did not keep Freddie Freeman, you did not keep Dansby Swanson, uh, you know, you've extended a lot of young guys on this team, but the only pitcher that you have signed to an extension is Spencer Strider, and so... Uh, The conversation was, why would you take Max Freed to arbitration over $1.5 million? Because Freed filed at 15, the Braves fought at 13 and a half, and the Braves ended up winning that case. They lost the case last year, they won the case this year. So, real quick, how arbitration works is if you have more than three years of service time, or more than two and are a Super 2 player, which is a whole other conversation, Uh, and you do not have a contract for the upcoming season, the club and the player have to agree on a salary number. That has to be done by a a date in mid-January. If the player and the club do not agree on a salary number for the upcoming season, that's when you go to salary arbitration. And the whole thing is based on comparisons and precedent, right? So it's based on uh, salaries of players of similar uh, production, over, the, over recent years, as well as based off of what you made, if, you, if this is your second or third year of arbitration or fourth year for a Super 2, what you've made in past years. So a couple things end up happening here. One, if you get injured and miss time or have a bad season the year before you go to arbitration, that has repercussions for multiple years because it usually bases off of your previous arbitration salary. Trevor May of the Mets is one of the guys I can think of that had a, if I remember right, he had a rough year going into his arbitration year. And so that had repercussions down the line because it's always based off of the previous number. But the thing that people forget about when you see this and you're like, well, you know, why take Max Fried to arbitration over uh, $1.5 million or look at like Christian Javier is in his first year of arbitration with the Astros. He filed at three and a half. The team filed at three. They're like, why take your player, your star player, to arbitration over this smaller amount? The thing you have to understand is the numbers that the players and the team give the arbitrator are usually not what they gave each other. Because the way that arbitration works, this panel of independent arbiters. Here's the case, and picks one of those two numbers. They don't compromise. If one number is a hundred million dollars and one number is five, like they can't say, "Well, we'll split the difference." It's gonna be the five. Like nobody's ever got anything near a hundred. Like it's that's the issue with arbitration: is it's you pick one or the other. And so when you are giving a number to the arbitrator, if you are the player you are incentivized to come down off of your request closer towards the middle ground. If you are the team, you are incentivized to come up on the offer closer to the middle ground between the two teams. So Max Fried and the Braves, $1.5 million apart. When they were negotiating with each other, it is very likely that they were more than a million and a half dollars apart. That they were... 3 million apart, they were 4 million apart, like they were it was the gap was bigger. The gap is always bigger in your negotiations versus the number that you file with the arbitrator. Now, what makes things tough is a lot of organizations recently, and the Braves are an example of this, to try to make things even for every player and not show favoritism and or not have issues down the road. Uh, some organizations have become what are called file and trial that we will negotiate up to the deadline. And then once the deadline is here and we both submit numbers, that's it. We're going to stop. We're not going to continue to negotiate because you can reach a contract up until you sit for the arbitration hearing and skip arbitration. But a lot of organizations say, We don't want to set the precedent of we're going to give a number to the arbitrator and then continue to negotiate with you because another player may want to negotiate. And if we don't want to negotiate with them, it makes things awkward. And remember, all of this stuff comes back to like every arbitration decision affects future arbitration decisions. So these are, it's bigger than just your one player. Uh, in the case of Max Freed, Max Freed's also the union rep for the Braves. And so he is thinking about, I want to get a, the best deal possible so that fellow players get better deals and arbitration as well. There should be a much simpler system to this than arbitration. But right now, that's kind of where we are. There's some really interesting things out there. The largest uh, contract figure out there, Teoscar Hernandez, asked for $16 million. The Mariners countered with 14. Some of the really funny differences, Corbin Burns is at 10.75. The Brewers are at 10.01 million, which is weird. Uh, Luis Urias, he he had to give his number and the Twins gave their number. He gave 6.1 million. The Twins gave 5 million. Then the Twins traded him to Miami and Miami had to go to the arbitrator and make the case for the number the Twins gave. Miami did not have a chance to redo that number. They had to argue the $5 million number versus Arias arguing the 6.1, and his side won, and he gets 6.1 million. So arbitration's a weird system, and we need to find something better. Uh, A lot of players understand that this is kind of a business thing, and a lot of the smart teams don't make the case against their player. They make the case based on the statistics and the precedent. So a lot of players understand it's a business. Not every single one of them does, and sometimes this can create animosity between players and organizations, depending on how it's treated. Jeremy in our Discord had a question about some Mets prospects. Right-hand pitcher Calvin Ziegler and right-hand pitcher Bryce Montes-Dioka. So Calvin Ziegler, 2021 second rounder out of high school, 16 games in low A last year, 4-4-4 ERA in 46 and two-thirds innings, uh, 70 strikeouts, 13.5 per nine, to 35 walks, 6.75 per nine, with three home runs allowed. Uh, stuff to note here, his arsenal, plus fastball, t- uh, sits 94, can touch 96, has really good ride up in the zone. The curveball could be a plus curveball with some more development. It uh, sits high 70s and low 80s, has you know vertical break, like a 12-6 to 6 kind of shape. He just needs to get better at landing it for strikes. Didn't really have a third pitch. He added a splitter, it's kind of below average, and that's, like, you see the command issues, he, uh, it it all comes back to repeating his mechanics, which kind of comes back to his strength. He needs the physical development, because right now, he's having to put so much effort into the mechanics and the velocity, that it's, it's messing with his control. So, as he physically develops, I think that control is going to get better uh, as he gets more, more, Size to his frame. He'll go to Ohio, Brooklyn to start this year. And I'm hoping to see that walk number come down significantly. The other guy, Bryce Montez de Oca, 6'7", 265. Big boy, big health issues. 2018 ninth rounder of Missouri. And yet did not debut until 2021. Did not throw his first pitch in professional baseball until May 2021. He had Tommy John in college. And between getting drafted in 2018, to his debut, obviously, the COVID year, but also he had four different surgeries, blood clots and some other issues and things like that. When he's on, he's got a cutter, a sinker, and a slider. The uh, the The sinker averages like 99, touches 102. Kind of stupid, right? Uh, 16 inches of horizontal break. The cutter sits around 95 miles an hour. He throws at about half the time. Uh, has about five inches of vertical break to it. And then the slider, the sinker and slider are each about one-fourth the time, but uh, has about 12 inches of horizontal break the other direction from the sinker. So it's a nice horizontal picture that he gives. Velocity is about 87 on the slider. Control issues uh, in 44 games in the minors last year, or covering 51 in the third innings, Three-three-three ERA, 80 strikeouts, so 14 strikeouts per nine to 38 walks, 6.7 per nine. Didn't give up a single home run. So you like the stuff. You just need a little bit more refinement on the control. And a lot of that comes down to getting the feel because he just missed so much time. The physical development is obviously there. He's a big boy. You just kind of have to keep everything under control so that you can get, uh, get some better control out of the picture. In just a minute, I want to get to Matt's question about some newer prospects and their likelihood of reaching the bigs. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. We're excited about our new sports betting partner for the Lockdown Podcast Network because it's the number one sportsbook in America and the only app you need at your Super Bowl party. They have a ton of great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. So download the FanDuel app now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. You can bet on everything from the money line, point spreads, who will score a touchdown, who will score first. There's tons of props out there for the Super Bowl. Uh, and the great thing is this app is not only safe, secure, and super easy to use, but you can get paid your winnings instantly as soon as the game is over. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make every moment more with FanDuel the official sportsbook partner of the NFL and the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, so a regular listener of the show, Matt Logan on Twitter, uh, sent me a question about which of these guys has the best upside and or the best path to being a big leaguer. And I uh, I believe this is trading card focus is kind of his inspiration here. But the seven players were uh, Athleter Drew Baker of the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, shortstop Willie Vasquez of the Tampa Bay Rays, catcher Jimmy Crooks of the Cardinals, uh, outfielder Jacob Marcy of the Padres, infielder Yendry Rojas of the Padres, and uh, utility guy Kevin Kendall of the Mets. So looking at these guys, there's four of them that I like. I'm kind of separating them into a couple different tiers here. The guys that I like the most, uh, Vasquez, Crooks, Marcy, and Kendall. Let's go through those guys real quick. So Willie Vasquez, 2019 IFA, got 113 games in low A last year, 256, 313, 410, 10 home runs, 40 extra base hits, uh, 36 walks to 126 strikeouts, 25-28 on stolen bases. Defensively, he can stick at shortstop, and it's funny, because in that IFA class, he was seen as the guy most likely to have to change positions to third base or second base or something like that, but it, I mean, it looks like he's going to be a plus defender above average or plus defender at shortstop. Uh, offensively, the bat speed is above average. His max exit velo was like 112 last year. Power potential is kind of average. Uh, but he went from rookie ball to low A last year and kind of backed up a little bit as far as his statistics went. Slugging was the exact same. He had a 411 in rookie ball in 21 and a 410 last year. But his batting average dropped from 288 to 256. And is on base from 382 to 313. And it looked like it was issues with spin and chasing that spin. So a little bit of discipline to do there, but I still like the makeup. I still think he can be an above average offensive player. And then again, have an impact defensively. Nothing is worse than average. Like everything is average or above average. Nothing is plus. But again, he's one of those complete well-rounded packages of probably not going to be a star but feels pretty likely to make the the big leagues because he's just kind of good at everything. Uh, catcher Jimmy Crooks from St. Louis. I really like Jimmy Crooks. Uh, 2022 fourth rounder out of Oklahoma. Had a great run in the College World Series and got in 23 games in low-A Palm Beach last year. 266, 396, 468. Three home runs, eight extra base hits. 12 walks to 22 strikeouts. No stolen base attempts. Not a shocker. He's a catcher. But... Offensively, he has good power to the pull side, and he handles breaking stuff really well, which is a weakness for a lot of younger players. He's 20 years old, but still a younger player in the in the context of things. A little old for the level, but still a thing. So left hand hitting catcher, not a thing you get as much of. So promising, especially with the power potential that we saw. The bat speed's really good, so he can handle velocity there. And then again, good at recognizing and hitting breaking pitches. Defensively, really good agility behind the plate, despite the speed not being fantastic. The arm is only kind of average, but his pop time's good. His release is really quick. And so it can kind of help him control the running game a lot better than a normal catcher with an average arm could do. So I like Jimmy Crooks for St. Louis. Uh, Outfitter Jacob Marcy of the Padres. Spoiler alert for when we get to I think it's going to be Wednesday. show is the Padres farm preview. He's the best defensive outfielder in the Padres system. But 2022 second rounder out of Central Michigan. Got in 18 games in low A last year. 254, 419, 463. Two home runs, nine extra base hits. 16 walks to 15 strikeouts and 12 of 13 on stolen bases. Him and Crooks are the two guys I like the most on this list. His strike zone discipline is amazing. You can't, he walked more than he struck out in both rookie ball and low A last year. That is a very hard thing to teach. Fantastic strike zone discipline, probably the best in the system, uh, which, you know, he's going to, if he, if he gets to play with Juan Soto, it's going to be fun watching those two guys on the same team. I'm not saying he has as good plate discipline as Juan Soto. I'm just saying their, both their approaches are similar as far as how good they are at at uh, seeing uh, balls versus strikes and and laying off of what's not a strike the power I think is decent it can it can it can get a little bit better he I want to say he's about 180 pounds or so I think there's a little bit of physical development in there probably not a ton but a little bit and then again best defensive outfielder in the system so the floor is high for a Jacob Marcy probably going to go to high a to start the year in 2023 the fourth guy, is Kevin Kendall for the Mets. Came out of UCLA, 2021 seventh rounder. He played all over at UCLA. He was on the same team as Matt McClain of the Reds. You'll remember McClain played some center field as well. So he's played center field. He's played shortstop. He's played second base. The arm is only kind of average, but I think he'd be a plus defender in the infield at either of those positions and probably above average in center field because of that. Got in 31 games in 2021. I'll get to 22 in a second, 327, 421, 451, one home run, 10 extra base hits, 15 walks to 24 strikeouts and eight to 10 on stolen bases. So he had a wrist injury. I think he got three games at low A St. Lucie before he got hurt and missed the entire season. It is the, from what I understand, it is the same wrist that he injured in 2020 and missed a whole se- or was on track to miss the entire season in 2020 with that wrist injury. So a little bit of concern there, but uh, really good at making contact. Very good swing decisions. The power is getting better. I think part of that's going to be a little health as well. And then, I, like I said, plus defender in the infield, above average defender in center field because the speed is somewhere between plus and double plus. Question, obviously, is going to be Uh, How well does he come back? From what I understand, he went to the Arizona Fall League. He looked pretty decent there. And it's just going to be something where, will he hit well enough to be an everyday regular, or will he be seen as a utility guy? Uh, I've seen reports on both. A lot of that depends on his 2023. Going to be a big year. Again, probably going to start back off at low A, but given that he's already 23, they may put him at high A to start off just to try to find him an age-appropriate level. Uh, a couple of the guys on that list real quick. Drew Baker for Tampa Bay, the outfielder. He's got a good bat. He's not great defensively, and Tampa Bay prioritizes defense a lot, unless your power is stupid, and his power isn't necessarily stupid. And so I worry about his opportunities to move up in that system because they prioritize defense so much. Uh, Yendry Rojas for the Padres has high contact ability. I think the power could get to average, maybe even above average. He's probably not going to be a shortstop, probably going to play second base or third base. And it feels like he doesn't have the power profile for third base. So he's going to be a second baseman, kind of limits the overall ceiling as far as superstar power. If you're looking at getting the card and then Daniel Vasquez, the shortstop for Kansas City. I just haven't seen him play yet. He signed in 2022. Don't know a lot about him. It's hard for me to kind of project out what he's going to do, given the fact he hasn't even played any yet. In just a minute, we're going to get to when you go to a minor league game and you want to check out prospects, what should you be looking for? This is Tyler's question. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. I have been talking about this now for about a month. If you are trying to eat better, if January didn't work out well, and you want to start over in February, that is fine by me. Try incorporating Built Bars into the routine, trying to eat healthier, because one, they are good for you. Uh Each Bilt Bar is around 130 calories, four grams of sugar, 17 grams of protein. The flavors are fantastic. It's like churro, peanut butter, brownie, coconut almond, covered 100% real chocolate. So you have the protein to keep you full. You have the chocolate to make it taste good. And the availability is now better because you used to have to go to built.com and use a promo code and all that stuff and wait for them to come in the mail. But now you can buy them locally. If you have a Walmart in your town, and I've been to very few towns that don't have one, you can go to the pharmacy section, grab a box of Built Bars, a four-bar box of cookies and cream, of double chocolate, or of coconut puff. If you're close to Sam's, you can run in and grab a 13-bar box of brownie batter or churro. So stick to your dietary... Preferences in 2023. Improve your diet with Built Bars. Go to built.com or go to Walmart or go to Sam's. Okay, so regular listener Tyler sent me uh, two emails on Saturday with some questions. And the second email was about he said he's going to be going to some Inland Empire games to see the low A affiliate for the Angels. And What should he be looking for when he's checking out some of these players? So when I go to watch prospects, there's some general things that I look for from everybody and then specific things based on position. So uh, in general, and when you're there, it's better because you have so much more things you can watch than just wherever the camera's pointing. Uh, One, I look to see the athleticism of some of these guys. I just want to see what it looks like when they run. I want to see what it looks like when they throw so I can evaluate uh, physically, their bodies. Uh, two, I'm looking for instincts. I love when I get to be in person at a game and I can see, like, okay, the shortstop knows what is going to be thrown. He knows the signs between the catcher and the first baseman. How is he positioning himself from pitch to pitch? It, you know, does he understand what this type of pitch is going to induce from this hitter versus that type of pitch? So looking at the baseball instincts, same thing when you look at like a catcher, uh, you know things like a the catcher corner of his eye, he sees the runner leaning a little bit, he's going to back pick the next time he you know he rece- he he receives the throw, uh, things like that, the instincts. I just look for that in general with everybody that I'm looking at, but then specifically uh, when I'm watching a pitcher, which is one of my favorite things to do, is I'm looking for one, what did they throw, kind of. Basic, but I want to know what pitches are they throwing? Are they living off of fastballs and mixing in some stuff every now and again? Are they living off of breaking an off speed and using a fastball to keep guys honest? And that's the second component is how are they using what they throw to try to get guys out? Um, what's the strategy? That's the pitch ability we always talk about. What's the strategy for setting guys up off certain pitches and then fooling them with others or blowing stuff past them, things like that. I'm also looking at the delivery. I want to see how much, how how many moving parts are in that delivery. I want to see how much effort is behind it. Typically a general rule of thumb is the more effort behind a delivery, the higher likelihood that you're going to have control issues as well as the higher possibility that you're going to have injury in the future. Obviously it's not perfect. Bruce DelGraderall throws hundred miles an hour like he's playing catch with a with a teenager, and yet he had a significant injury. So it's not foolproof, but it's a pretty it's a pretty reliable indicator of how hard is this guy having to work to throw these pitches, and how is his control going to be, and is he at higher risk for injury than a lot of than pitchers already are? Because pitchers are hurt all the time. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect. It's a common thing you hear because of development, because of injury stuff like that. Uh, for A hitter, the things that I'm looking for is, one, when they go up there, do they have a plan? So, has this hitter done a base level of research on this pitcher and what he does? Do they, when they go up there, does it look like they're trying to either situationally execute what they have to do, get the runner over, uh, get the sacrifice, whatever they have to do, or... Are, do they look like they have a plan to face that specific pitcher if they know that this guy uh, likes to throw sliders down and away are they set up in a way and are they watching for that so they can prevent themselves from chasing that so i'd like to watch what the hitter is looks like they're trying to do with the plate uh, and to see if they're if they can confi- feel like i would if you you're gonna strike out that happens to everybody i want to see did you strike out because you got fooled did you strike out because that was a better pitch than you? Did they just completely surprise you? Like, I want to know why. I'm trying to look to see if I can figure out why. And you can tell from somebody's reactions when they got fooled on something or when they just got beat on something. So I want to see that. And then the actual swing. How smooth is the swing? How much work is in the swing? And how hard are they? Like, what kind of effort are they having to put into a swing to hit a home run, you know? Is it is it pulled? Can they go opposite field? That kind of stuff. I'd be careful about watching batting practice and making too many assumptions off of, uh, of a guy based on batting practice. That's more so raw power than in game power. Even Ichiro would crush home runs in batting practice, but in games, his in game power was much lower because he was focusing on quality contact, getting extra bases, getting the ball in the gaps versus selling out for home runs. So defensively, uh, I am looking for a couple things. One, when a ball is hit to a player, the reads, the routes, the reactions. So reminder again, the, the read is do they see what it's doing correctly at the crack of the bat? The reaction is their movement in response to that read. So if you see the ball, if you're an outfielder and you see the ball is going over your head, but your first step is to step forward, that's probably a correct read and a bad reaction. You want to see how like how good the read and the reaction is and then the route, the path to the ball. Uh, more of an outfielder thing than an infielder thing, especially like third base where it's almost all just instinct and reaction. But for the offensive players, I kind of want to see does it look easy or does it look tough? There, I have watched guys like, let's say, third baseman Cur- Curtis Mead of the Tampa Bay Rays. I watched him in Montgomery last year. And I had a preconceived idea of where his defense was and that it was not great at third and he would have to move to first base. When I watched him in that game, he made quite a few very difficult plays at third base, whether it was a hot shot that he picked, whether it was a slow roller that he barehanded and fired to first, and he made them look very easy. And it prompted me to go back and look a little more at film and look a little more to see have I been underrating his defense because those were very difficult plays and he made them look very easy. Um, The other question from Tyler, and it's the first email was actually about me, which I don't usually do a lot of questions about myself on the show, but he asked me, you know, what made me initially interested in prospects and, and uh, how long have I been covering this and how has my judgment of prospects changed over time? And then, uh, a failed prospect that I'd love to have a do-over for their career. So, the big thing out of that for me, the failed—I'm uh, sorry—the uh, the my the my view of prospects, how that's changed over time, is I think I've come to appreciate more how hard baseball is, and I I try to be as positive as possible on this show. And every now and then, I'll get somebody in the YouTube comment or on a tweet or in an email. Like, like you know, you're doing people disservice by making it sound like all these guys are going to make it. I'm like, well, the easy thing to say in my position would be the likelihood is that this guy doesn't make it. Because the likelihood for any given prospect is that they don't make it. They don't make it to the big leagues, or if they do get there, they don't make a positive impact. I think 9% of all drafted players ever accumulate a positive war in the major leagues. And the actual odds of getting to the major leagues are below 50% for any round past the second. So I just I try to be positive as possible in this show because baseball is a very hard game. And if you succeed four times out of ten as a hitter, you're generationally great. And so I just I try to I'd rather talk about um, what a guy does well than what a guy is bad at or if a guy's not gonna make it, you know. Now I will say the prospect that I've talked before about the prospect that I missed the most on. I thought Jason Hayward's power was going to be a lot better than it was, but the the do over the failed prospect that I'd love to have a do over for his career. I think it's Bubba Starling of the Royals 2011 first round pick number five overall was committed. I think to Nebraska as a quarterback also played outfield also was a basketball star in, in high school, like three sports and Very, very good defender. Very good athleticism. Very good speed, as you can imagine from a, you know, a former football player, a dual threat quarterback, but just never really seemed at the plate to put it together. He finally made it to the bigs. I want to say in, think, 18 and 19 or 19 and 20, uh, 994 fielding percentage. Had like one error his entire time in the majors. He got 91 total games, but his slash line was 204, 246, 298, five home runs, 13 extra base hits, and he had... 13 walks to 83 strikeouts. Uh, Career did end on a high note. He left AAA in 2021 to go compete in the Summer Olympics in Tokyo as part of Team USA and won a silver medal. When he got back, uh, he went ahead and announced his retirement and he's now a baseball coach. Uh, it's It's one of those things where, I talked about this last week for the Royals show, the Royals have gotten pretty good at developing hitters and I feel like if he had gotten there a few years later, you know, he was drafted in 2016 or 17 versus 2011, there's a really good chance that they maybe could have gotten his offense to the point where he could still be playing. Uh, and it's just one of those, like, right guy, wrong time. And so I kind of wish we could have that back. And I'd, I'd love to see an alternate universe where he's a couple years younger and he gets a do-over in Kansas City, and I think he probably would would work. But from what I've heard, he's a really good baseball coach and teacher now. So happy for Bubba Starling that his career ended uh, in a positive way with a uh, silver medal at the Olympics. Fantastic week this week. We're previewing the National League West. Dodgers, Padres, Giants, Diamondbacks, Rockies, in that order. If you have questions for next Monday's mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMovieProspects at gmail.com, or drop your questions in the Discord. Link is in the episode description. Link is in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, this has been Locked on MLB Prospects.